Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. Welcome to the Simply Scary Podcast, Season 1, Episode 13. I'm your Master of Ceremonies, G.M. Danielson. This episode will be dedicated to a writer and performer named Anna Fro, known to her many online friends as Creep Miss Pasta. She was a friend of and contributor to the show for many years, before leaving this earth as the result of a car accident on icy roads on December 6th, 2014, at only 22 years of age. This talented, generous artist is dearly missed here at Simply Scary. But instead of merely brooding that she is gone, we intend to celebrate the quality work she left behind with these six performances by her and of her dark fiction with this Requiem. 
Our opening tale concerns an experience a daring man had near a pond in a local park. When he was young, for a time it was labelled a hazardous place by the city officials. He and his sceptical friends decide to explore it anyway, and soon discover the sinister truth about what exactly makes the body of water so unsafe. Jason Hill performs one of Emmafro's most enduring tales, Water Puppet. Some people call me a hero. I can't disagree with them, because it's actually kind of true. Believe it or not, I've saved a drowning man, pulled a girl from a burning building, and I've even saved a dog from being swept away by a nasty flood. My friends thought I was crazy, but I thought I was just exercising my humanity. That, and I was kind of an adrenaline junkie, was my guilty pleasure. I've been skydiving and bungee jumping on more than one occasion. I've jumped off the ledge of a huge waterfall hoping that I didn't hit shallow water. I've got a couple of scars to show for my endeavors. I don't really do the adventurous things that I used to anymore. Not after what happened. About seven years ago, a couple of friends and I were just heading out from a New Year's party. It was freezing outside and we had to walk six blocks to get back to our dorms. We all started walking, dreading the next 20 minutes or so of minus 20 degree weather. Hey, wait, wait a minute, Jared said in his drunken stammer. It'd be faster if we cut through the park. We all took a moment to think about it. The city made it a point to close the park down for some reason. Something about there being too many hazards, like falling trees or people drowning in the pond. Michelle cringed at the thought of walking through a knockoff cemetery. Me, Jared, and Alicia chuckled at her. The cold wind blew and stung my cheeks. It would save us an extra 18 minutes, so we decided to go through the park. We quickly made our way to the entrance, hopped the gate, and started walking. It was quite the beautiful place at two in the morning. The light from the moon glistened off of the frost that clung to the tree branches. I remembered walking through this park with my parents as a child, walking by the pond in the summertime to see tourists in their rented boats, enjoying the day. I was kind of excited to see what the pond would look like in the moonlight. It had been so long since I'd seen it, let alone in the middle of winter and in the dead of night. It would have been a very peaceful walk if Michelle and Jared weren't rambling on about who could drink more and not puke all over everybody. Since me and Alicia were the two most sober people of the group, we held them up and made sure they didn't slip on the path and crack their heads open. We approached the pond. It looked absolutely stunning in the moonlight, even better than what I remembered. We all stopped uh, taking the beautiful view when Michelle noticed something. What the hell is that? She queried, pointing to something out on the ice. We all looked closely and saw something that I'm pretty sure made all of our hearts jump into our throats. A little girl stuck out in the frozen wasteland. 
In a panic, we immediately ran towards the water's edge, cell phones at the ready. Elysia was the first to get anybody on the line. She frantically told the officers what was going on. All the while, the girl was just standing there, not moving, not shouting for help. Are you okay? I shouted, cupping my hands around my mouth to amplify my voice. She still stood there, in silence. While we panicked on the shoreline, I heard something, something faint but noticeable. I told everyone to be quiet and listen. I cupped my ear with my hand and listened in the direction of the girl. I couldn't quite make out what the sound was. Then it hit me. The ice is breaking, I said. Someone had to go out there and get her now. My friends paced back and forth, wondering what to do now. If they weren't going to act on it, I was. I took a couple of deep breaths, braced myself, and then cautiously stepped out onto the ice. My trio of friends stopped pacing and saw that I was going out onto the pond. What the hell do you think you're doing? Jared asked in a somewhat shocked manner. Don't go out there, please. Just wait until the police get here. Elysia beckoned. But I couldn't wait. If I did, she would fall through. The adrenaline was really flowing now. I couldn't help but smile just a little bit, let out a nervous chuckle. I tried to walk as fast as I could, but it seemed like I wasn't going fast enough. I tried to keep calm, and proceeded to step cautiously. My eyes were fixated on the ice below my feet. Wow, you are really crazy, aren't you? I muttered to myself under my breath. I heard a crack again. The goofy grin I wore suddenly vanished. I stopped for a second only to notice that the ice wasn't cracking below me. I sped up just a little bit more, still watching the ice, making sure that I didn't make it crack in the process. As I got closer, I looked up and saw the girl with a little more definition. She was so pale, almost as white as the snow. I thought maybe it was a trick of the light from the moon, but it looked like she was shining. It looked like she was covered with ice or frost or something. I questioned whether or not if she was even alive at this point. But then how else would she be standing on the ice? I asked myself. Just then she let out a noise. Something that was barely audible, but nonetheless a noise. I tore off my jacket and extended the warm article of clothing, hoping she would take it. Don't worry, sweetie. Everything's going to be alright. I said reassuringly. I was almost close enough to put the jacket on her, and that's when I noticed something that made me stop dead in my tracks. She wasn't standing on the ice. There was a patch of ice that I failed to see before, right behind her that was broken. There was something protruding from the frigid water holding her up. This pale gray spiked tentacle. My eyes widened as it squeezed her. That's when I came to the realization that it wasn't the ice that was about to break. When I heard her ribs snap and a wet gargle escape her mouth. As it squeezed her, blood dripped from her mouth and from the wounds that the spikes had made in her torso. I looked down at the gaping hole in the ice. To this day, I still don't know what the hell I saw. It was this... this pale gray thing covered head to toe with pitch black veins and jagged spikes covered its entire body 
It had these huge crimson eyes bordered in black. And when it smiled, I saw two sets of rotted yellow fangs. I dropped my jacket. I could hear my heart pounding louder and louder. I wanted to run, but my feet wouldn't allow me. The corpse of the young girl was suddenly pulled through the hole that the creature had made, and I saw it swim off. My eyes darted back and forth across the ice, wondering where it went. It didn't even dawn on me that my friends were halfway across the ice when I saw them making their way toward me. I tried to yell at them, I tried to tell them to run, but all that came out was this pathetic whimper. They called my name, pleading that I hurry and come to shore with them before I fell through the ice too. I pushed past my fear and made my feet move. I ran as fast as I could, trying not to slip on the ice. Run! Get the hell off the ice! I warned them. They extended their hands to me and started walking my way again. Come on, hurry up, Jared yelled back. Just go, just go, get off the ice now! I hollered back, desperately pleading for them to run. Just then, I felt cold water and a jagged edge at my ankle. I fell and bumped my head on the cold surface. Before I knew it, I was being pulled into the icy depths of the pond. When my body was submerged in the water, it felt like a thousand daggers cutting into my skin. When the water hit my eyes, I thought the liquid inside was going to freeze. I immediately closed them. I tried not to scream from the pain. I had to conserve my air, but then I felt the tentacle cut into my ankle and another tentacle reach around my shoulder and squeeze. It kept pulling and pulling. It dislocated my shoulder. I couldn't do it anymore. I screamed, letting out almost all of my air. I thrashed, trying to break free. That only caused its spikes to cut deeper, allowing the frigid water to freeze my bloodstream even faster. I felt the warm tears behind my eyelids and the burning in my lungs. I tried to scream one last time, but it started choking me with its tentacle. The spikes tore into my throat and I opened my eyes again. Then I saw it. Those red eyes looked even more menacing now that it was up close. It wore a sinister smile as it licked my face. I started to feel lightheaded. This... this was the end. No, I thought to myself. I am not dying like this. I pushed past the pain in my shoulder, raised my hands to its mouth and started widening its jaw. It squirmed, trying to shake me. I felt the tentacles loosen and its teeth cut into my hands. I looked up and saw three hands submerged into the water. I was so exhausted by that point, but I had to keep fighting. I kicked, I squirmed, and I did what I had in order to free myself. I used more force in its jaw, and I felt it crack. It let out this god-awful screech and let me go, and swam off into the cold darkness below. I could feel the water start to enter my lungs. I tried to swim to the surface, but I was getting fatigued. I was barely able to extend my hand toward my friends. The last thing I remember seeing was the light of the moon before everything went dark. I awoke the next morning to the beeping of a heart monitor. I was in the hospital. I was covered with the thickest, warmest blankets ever. I tried to move, but when I did, pain shot through my entire body. My head, shoulder, throat, ankle, everything was just throbbing from the pain. My friends walked into the room and saw that I was awake and rushed over. 
They told me that they were able to grab a hold of me, pulled me from the water and rushed me to the hospital. They then bombarded me with questions pertaining to what pulled me into the water. Trust me, I said, very weakly. You don't want to know. Well, are you going to tell the cops what happened? Michelle asked. I decided to just tell the police that I was drunk and felt like doing something adventurous. Because, let's face it, would they seriously believe me if I told them some monster lured me out there and tried to kill me? Yeah, given the right state of mind, I wouldn't fall for it either. Needless to say, I don't partake in any more heroic acts. I also haven't been anywhere near water since. I've obtained a phobia of it, as you can well imagine. After college, me and my friends went our separate ways, did our own things. I have a family now, and so does Alicia. We get together sometimes for playdates, reminisce about old times. Some parts are left out. It doesn't really matter, though. I still have nightmares about that night, that thing, under the ice. It's crimson eyes. I always tell myself that it happened a long time ago, and I try to put it behind me. It usually helps. Usually. Up until two weeks ago. Alicia had taken her boys, my son and my daughter, ice skating. She took them to her late father's house by the lake. It was just them there. When she brought them home, my son said something that sent a chill up my spine. He said that he saw a very pale girl standing on the ice. By her feet was a pale gray bump with two red dots. stop something when no one believes in it, or when no one will admit it's real? The horrifying answer? You can't. And here's GM to introduce our second story. Our second tale, penned by an anonymous author, centers on the late experience of a woman who desperately longs for sleep. Her night is destined to be restless, however, as a persistent sound at her window disturbs her repeatedly and makes it nearly impossible to find rest. Still, she's confident in her safety and blames the din on pranksters. If only she knew the truth, she may not have to be so complacent. We present to you Emma Froh's performance of A Knock at the Window. I lay in my bed, restless and alone, on a dark and silent night. I toss and turn in my bed trying to find a comfortable spot, but I feel uneasy. Something about tonight just didn't feel right. 
I toss and turn until I finally find a comfortable position. I close my eyes, but it doesn't make a difference. It's too dark in my room to see a thing anyways. I guess it takes time for my eyes to adjust to darkness. I lay there, still and silent, on a dark and dank night. My body is relaxed, my mind is blank, and I'm ready for some much-needed rest. Instantly, the silence is shattered, and my mind fills with fearful thoughts as my startled eyes flash open. It's almost undoubtedly the sound of a fist on glass. But no, it couldn't be. What would someone's motivation be to wake someone alone in their home? Think logically. If someone wanted to break in, why would they warn me with a knock? They would just break in, making a loud and obvious noise, or try to be as silent as possible. Why would they knock? Monsters don't exist. I could give myself some peace of mind and simply look out the window, but I'm facing the other way and I'm too timid to turn my head, afraid of finding my greatest fears standing outside my window. What could it be, though? Maybe a couple of birds flew into my window. No, that's too unrealistic. Could a group of kids be running around late at night knocking on windows to get a few laughs? It's a possibility. Come to think of it, maybe it was my imagination. Maybe I heard the usual creak in the house and my paranoid mind has mistaken it for a knock. Nope, that definitely wasn't my imagination. Those damn kids are persistent. They don't want to quit until they get that reaction. Maybe some sick, twisted freak is standing outside waiting for me to look so he can smash through and attack me. No, don't think like that. Don't get paranoid. Besides, he's outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. Monsters don't exist. Besides, I haven't moved yet. Hopefully those kids will think I'm a heavy sleeper and leave me alone. No, it can't be kids. No kid would wait around this long just to get a reaction from me. They'd just get bored and move along. But what could it be? Why would a serial killer target me of all people? Think logically. Monsters don't exist. Don't get paranoid. They're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. But if it's not a monster or some sort of killer, what could it be? Just pretend to be asleep and maybe they'll go away. Oh god, I can't think of a noise I hate more than that persistent knock. Please go away. Just leave me alone and let me be. There's no hope. It's going to get in here and do sick and horrible things to me. Inhale. Take a deep breath. I can feel my heart pound out of my chest. Just relax. Monsters don't exist. Remember, they're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. Repeat that. Don't let your fear get the best of you. Just pretend to be asleep. Don't move a muscle. They're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. Monsters don't exist. Just pretend to be asleep and pray it'll go away. They're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. Frightful tears begin to drip down my face. Monsters don't exist. Monsters don't exist. I begin to whisper to myself. They're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. 
They're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. I can't take it anymore. I'm gonna go mad listening to these knocks. At least if I see what it is, I'll have peace of mind. Take a deep breath. I repeat to myself one more time. They're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. I take a few more breaths, my heart pounding as hard as it's ever pounded at a mile a minute. I slowly turn my head to face the window. My heart sinks into my chest and I'm too afraid to scream or move. I turned my head to find a pale figure with beady black eyes staring through me and into my soul as a horrid grin creeps across its face. It was standing inside the whole time, knocking on my window. It's one thing to be hunted by feral monsters. It's another entirely when an intelligent predator lies in wait, toying with your mind as it plots its next nefarious move. The thought of being outwitted by something sinister waiting in the dark is truly horrifying indeed. We'll continue our stories right after this brief message. Good evening, kitties. Hope you are enjoying this episode so far. Just wanted to give you a quick tip. Hit that subscribe button below to stay updated on all of the posts that we come out with. Releases on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and you'll get a notice in your email. Now, you can also go to simplyscarypodcast.com and click the About button at the top of the page. That way you can learn all you need to know about the talents that perform here and write for the Simply Scary Podcast. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, my little nefarious zombies. Join me as we take a walk once more into the dark. In our next sordid offering, a woman regains consciousness and finds herself in an unfamiliar setting. She quickly discovers that not only is she covered in blood, but that she is definitely not alone. Ashley Tolfo performs Emma Froh's The Dangers of Fame. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I woke to the sun shining through the slit in the curtains and an odd feeling. When I sat up, I was struck with confusion when I saw my surroundings. How did I end up passed out on the floor in someone else's home? Okay, think, think, think. What happened last night? I said to myself, rubbing my head in what seemed like a futile effort to make the memory return. Just then, something clicked. The party. My friends and colleagues held a party in celebration of another successful book completed. Did I really drink that much? No, it wasn't that. I knew what a hangover felt like, and this feeling I had wasn't that. Something didn't feel right. I didn't feel right. It was as if something was missing but I just couldn't put my finger on it. I went to stand up, but froze at what I saw next. I saw blood that smeared and stained the hardwood floor. I jolted to my feet and searched my body for any cuts or scars. I found nothing. If I wasn't the one who had been hurt, then that meant someone else was here with me possibly bleeding to death. I shoved my hands in my pockets, rummaging around for my phone so that I could call for help. Searching my pockets for the phone led to no avail. I looked around the room once more to see if there was a phone that I could use. I saw nothing. I explored my unfamiliar environment, only to find that there were no phones whatsoever in this house. Maybe if I went outside and found a neighbor... They could help. I looked outside and saw that I was in the middle of nowhere. I had no neighbors to call upon. This was bad. I had to find the other person and get out of there fast. I looked everywhere, opening door after door. I looked in bedrooms, bathrooms, upstairs. I called out to the person, hoping that they would yell back and I could pinpoint their location. I heard nothing. Suddenly, out of the nothing, I heard a truck pull up outside. I ran down the hall in a panic. I came face to face with yet another door. It was open, though, and I could only assume that, at the time, it led to the basement. I heard footsteps making their way to the front door. I entered and quickly made my way into the darkness. I tried to be as careful as I possibly could while descending the steps into the pitch-black basement. As soon as my foot touched the floor, I heard the door upstairs open, then slam shut. Honey, I'm home, he shouted as I heard footsteps making their way to the basement. And I've got a surprise for you. I stumbled around trying to find a place to hide or something to hit him over the head with. 
Just then, I tripped over something. I hit the ground, then started feeling around to see if I could figure out what it was. I grabbed a hold of something. Someone's foot. For a split second, I was relieved to have found the other person. It was still kind of dark, so I couldn't really see much. But I was able to make out the shape of a girl sitting in a chair. Don't worry, I whispered. We'll get out of here soon. Our captor was at the threshold of the basement. I turned around, looking for a place to hide. Something caught my eye. I saw the tools that were sprawled out on top of the table, glistening in what little light had filled the room. I scurried under the table and pressed myself tightly up against the wall. I saw a bat leaning against the side of a table. When he wasn't paying attention, that's when I'd make my move and get the both of us out of here. He turned on the light when he hit the bottom step. The captor came into view. Well, the bottom half of him anyway. He was wearing dress shoes and a tux. I saw the girl a little more clearly now. She was covered in scars. Her skin was a sickening tint of white from the amount of blood she had lost. Isn't it beautiful? Well, it's not nearly as beautiful as you are, though. The unknown man draped a silky white dress over the girl and got down on one knee. The edge of the table was just barely covering his face. He took her hand and slid a ring on her finger. The way her arm dropped to her side reminded me of a rag doll. I wondered how she could be so calm and so still in this situation. That's when I realized the grim fact that she was dead. I let out a gasp, then quickly covered my mouth in an effort to stop the noise. The man didn't seem to notice. You've made me a very happy man. You know that? I mean, we've had our moments, but... I never stopped believing that we could be together someday. I listened closely to him. He sounded very familiar. Did I actually know this psycho from somewhere? He stood up and made his way toward the table. I slowly extended my hand towards the bat. He shuffled through his tools for a second and finally found what he was looking for. A book dropped to his side. My book. He turned around, gave the corpse a kiss on the cheek, and made his way towards the stairs. Now was my chance. I grabbed the bat and shot out from under the table. When I was right behind him, I closed my eyes and swung as hard as I could. After a moment, I opened my eyes and saw him standing not three inches from my face. I jolted back and fell. I closed my eyes again and started frantically swinging. Get the hell away from me! I kept waving the bat around, hoping that when I opened my eyes again, he would be laying face down. I stopped for a second and hesitantly opened my eyes. He was still standing looking straight ahead at the body in the chair. How was he still standing? How could he have not noticed me screaming and hitting him with a bat? I'll get you ready. 
he said, before turning around and making his way up the stairs. After seeing his face, it hit me. He was at the party. I could have sworn that I saw him at the party. He was one of the waiters. He brought me my drink. Then... The rest is kind of fuzzy. But I vaguely recall him carrying me out to the truck. Then I was here. And then... He took the bat and... Wait, the bat! I got ready to swing again. Only to find that I wasn't holding it. I looked back at the table. And there it was. Propped up against the side. But I could have sworn I had grabbed it. What the hell was going on? Then, I saw something that explained why I couldn't grab the bat and the feeling that I had had earlier. That feeling that something was missing? I soon realized what was missing was a heartbeat. When I saw my body sitting in the chair with its forehead bashed in. Many of you in our audience may fear the dark, or perhaps not the night itself, but rather what is hidden, lurking, in the shadows beyond. In lieu of our last tale, however, it may be more wise to fear your fellow man rather than your resident ghost. Up next, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you a story of war and the very odd circumstances surrounding one soldier's return from the battlefields. A wife waiting at home is deeply relieved when her husband returns unexpectedly from service. Her celebration is cut short, however, when she discovers to her dismay that her partner is only a shadow of his former self. And worse, he may not be her husband at all. Emma Fro performs Stephen Long's News from the Front. Awash with terror, I lay in bed jumping and flinching at every creak. The old country house had always made such noises at night. The beams would creak, the windows would knock, and the wind would howl down the fireplace. I had not always been so afraid of these sounds, but then again I had not always been alone. My husband and I moved to this village five years ago. We had just married and the house was just right for us. I admit it was a bit weather-worn, but my husband Paul could afford it, and there was a job available as the village postmaster. He bought the house, took the job, and we were happy, oh, so happy here. The wind could scream bloody murder, and the house itself could shake, but with Paul here, I feared nothing. That, though, was before. Before the war. Before enlistment. Before our men were sent to fight, fester, and die in those god-awful trenches in France. So I lay alone on a cold, windy night, both scared of the unearthly things that could be upon me in the unsettled house, 
and scared of the all too earthly dangers facing my husband far across the channel. Context. It is a strange thing. Some things within a certain context can be dull and boring, warranting no thought or attention. Though, in a different context, the same thing, noise in this case, can be terrifying. The noise I heard that night would be, in the right context, so very dull. But in bed, alone, in my old house, this sound scared me to my very bones. Someone had just unlocked the front door and was walking towards the stairs. I lost feeling in my feet, my hands tangled with pins and needles, and my mouth went deathly dry as I listened to the heavy boots trudge across the floorboards approaching the stairs. My stomach churned as if it was attempting to physically expel this newly tangible, poisonous fear from my body. I did not have time to react further as the boots hurried up the stairs and a hand came around my bedroom door. I was at the point of passing out as the man's face appeared. How soon and how much everything changed in an instant. I yelled and cried at him as I jumped into his arms. Paul, you're home! We both sat on the bed in tears as he struggled to find his words to explain his return. He explained all about the shelling they came under, his time in the army hospital with Reg, who happened to be both my neighbor and my best friend Meg's husband. Paul explained the shrapnel in his arms and back, his discharge from service, and how Reg should soon be discharged as well. Soon thereafter, he retired to bed without so much as a bite to eat. I suspected he was merely exhausted. I slept soundly that night. Paul was up and dressed when I woke the next morning. He said he had no time for breakfast as he was off to the post office to resume his duties as postmaster. I found this unusual. However, I didn't say a word as I was simply happy to have him home and I imagine he was adjusting back to life at home. Paul was scarcely gone for two hours before he returned with a huge sack of letters which he promptly dumped on the kitchen table. He sat sorting the correspondence for an hour or so, and I couldn't help but notice that he had placed roughly two dozen pieces of mail in the small iron waste bucket we kept next to the stove. Upon noticing my curiosity, Paul explained that they were rubbish and I was to burn them. Then, with a harshness that I have never heard in his voice, he told me not to open or read a single one. They were to be destroyed and nothing more. After he had made his demands known, he left on his rounds. The minute he was out of sight, I grabbed the letters in the iron bin and did as I was told, burning them in the stove one by one. After the fifth letter, however, I began to notice a pattern. All of the letters were addressed to women in our village or to those in neighboring towns, and they all had the army seal on them. I was puzzled by this, but my general confusion gave way to horror as I came upon the eighth letter. It was addressed to me. Shaking and losing more of my composure with each passing second, I opened the letter and began to read. It was an official letter to me, offering condolences and informing me that Paul, along with his company, had been killed in action. Foolishly, I cast the letter into the stove, destroying it. After a few moments of nonsensical weeping, I looked through the other letters. The final piece of mail was addressed to my neighbor, Meg. Paul came home later that evening. For the second night in a row, he refused to eat. At that moment, I realized that not only had I not seen him eat or drink since he had been home, but I had not seen him sleep either. Moments later, Paul interrupted my reverie, asking me coldly if I had destroyed the letters as asked. I nodded to say yes. After all, it was nearly true. 
I destroyed all the letters, all of them but one, the one addressed to Meg. That night in bed, though my eyes were closed, I could feel Paul staring at me. He stared for hours. When he eventually rose from bed sometime after midnight, I imagined it was because he was certain I had fallen asleep. I strained my ears. I could hear him downstairs speaking aloud in a strange voice. It was Paul, but it wasn't. And it was not English he was speaking, or any other language I recognized. The next morning, I woke to find Paul the same as the day before, dressed, refusing breakfast, and on his way to work. But that day, I had a plan. If I could just get to Meg and show her the letter, the two of us could think of a way out of that hell. I was close to losing my composure again as I knocked firmly upon Meg's door. She answered the door, smiling broadly from ear to ear. Before I could break down, show her the letter, and explain what had happened, she spoke five little words. Reg came home last night, and with those little words, she crushed any hope I had of escaping that nightmare. Fighting the knots in my stomach, I managed to ask Meg where Reg was, and she told me that he had accompanied Paul to the county post-sorting office to accept a nice new job. This all happened three months ago. Since then, dozens of men have come home without exception, and thanks to my Paul, all of them have been given jobs with the post office and other communication services. When I lay in bed at night now, I shiver and jump. The noises of the house no longer scare me, but when my husband passes our house during his postal routes, my blood runs cold. Context. It's a strange thing. It is a well-known fact that war can change us, and in times of peril may even rob us of our compassion, and I dare say, our humanity. We may speculate as to who, or what, walked through our protagonist's door in our last story, but it is clear that our wonderful wife's betrothed is not the man he used to be. If he was ever a man, to begin with. <laughs> While we reflect on that eerie episode, we'll take another short break. When we return, we'll explore a truly sinister superstition, where a picture is worth far more than a thousand words. Where it may be worth your very soul. Want to give that little goblin on your list something special this season? Chilling Tales for Dark Nights makes a wonderful gift. So go to ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com forward slash tour and give the gift of Chilling Tales this season. Turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Welcome back, fellow denizens, to the dark. There's no doubt that images are powerful. 
without so much as a word, something as simple as a photo can stir the human heart, inflaming our senses and inspiring us to great things. And when our powerful images are widely shared, their influence is undeniable. Each and every one of us, at one time or the other, has felt the urge to share a particularly cute, humorous, or moving picture with friends or family online, hoping that others can be moved by the image as well. In our next story, we learn of the existence of a seemingly ordinary image, which wields extraordinary power, and which you may not be able to stop from sharing as failing to do so could literally become a matter of life and death. Simply Scary producer Jesse Cornett tells us Emma Fro's story about why you should pass it on. It's quite an interesting concept. Those little pass-it-on messages, I mean. Chain letters and people telling you. Post this in five different comments or else you'll die tonight. Interesting indeed. But the idea lacks originality. It's the same story with each one. Pass it on or die. People pass it on and they go on living. Happy ending for everyone. But, what if there was a little twist? Let's say that there's a photo out there. It's not one of those can't-be-found-anywhere-else type of pictures. It's actually really easy to find. Just use your chosen search engine and type in black-and-white photos of twins. You should be presented with a variety of different black and white photos of twins, but let me help and tell you what to look for. You're looking for the picture of two twin girls wearing black dresses and white headbands. The twin on the left has a straight face while the one on the right is smiling. Found it? Good. Now, as you'll see, there's nothing particularly unnerving about the photo. It may be a little creepy. Other than that, it looks as normal as any other picture you've ever come across. Now here's the twist. If you do pass it on, you die. Now, I know most of you given this particular set of choices, would choose to leave that picture be. But allow me to elaborate upon what happens when you don't pass this picture on to someone else. If you leave it alone after seeing it, you'll have nightmares. I know, I know. Bad dreams don't sound so bad when compared to the alternative. But trust me, it gets worse. It all begins with something simple. Before long, you'll see the twins standing side by side in the darkness. 
The girl on the left will leave, and you'll be left alone with her smiling twin. And just before you wake up, she'll whisper, Pass it on. And her smile will widen ever so slightly. I know, it doesn't sound like much of a nightmare. The first of many, it's fairly subtle. But with each successive nightmare, things begin to change. Gradually, the smiling girl gets closer and closer to you, while her smile widens to impossible lengths. You won't be able to help but feel greatly disturbed and unsafe when it happens. Don't worry. That's normal. What's next, however? Not so much. You'll try to wake yourself up. You'll try to move. But nothing will work. You'll find yourself trapped. She'll bring out various instruments. A knife, chains, gasoline, matches. Many devices to make you feel uneasy. Then you panic. You can't help but think of all the horrible things this twisted, sadistic child has in store for you. And does she ever have some horrible things in store for you? Let's take a moment to think about the possibilities. What do you think she'll do to you? Wrap the chains around your head and pull until your skull splits. Gouge out your eyes. Cut out your tongue. Slice off your ears. Burn you alive. Knowing that you can't move. That and more, my dear. You take the term unimaginable torture too lightly until you fall asleep. If you think she'll lash you with chains, she'll do so only after she's laid them in fire and struck railroad spikes into your back. If you think she'll burn you, she'll tear open your torso, pour gasoline into the wound, and then light the match. You'll wake up screaming. Your body will remember the pain it's endured while you quiver in fear. Every time you wake up, you'll notice subtle differences about your body. A bruise here, a scratch there. But as each nightmare gradually gets worse, so do the marks which shall be left behind. Before long, the scratches will become fresh, bloody scars. If you dreamt that you took a sledgehammer to the knee, you'll wake and rise, only to find your legs buckling below you as pain surges through your kneecaps. All the while, her words linger in the back of your mind. You'll try to avoid sleeping, but it's no use. The twins make their way into your reality. They're always there. At your home. At your place of work. Or at school. 
You would fight back, but their visage appears in place of the faces of your loved ones. Eventually, you'll hide yourself away from everyone in an attempt to avoid seeing those demonic children. It's all in vain, however. You'll see them in that millisecond of darkness when you blink. You'll see them in reflections and in your peripheral vision. You'll see them everywhere. You cannot escape. You can consider suicide, even attempt it, but that won't let you go so easy. That shotgun that you've got hidden in the closet, the revolver in the nightstand, useless. How strange. They seem to be jammed or missing a trigger. A cocktail of cold and flu and pain medications won't help either. It's so very odd indeed how you just can't seem to hold them down long enough for them to take effect. Soon enough, you won't be able to distinguish your dreams from reality. You'll wake from one torturous experience only to be greeted by alternative horrors. Without realizing it, you've given the twins a new playmate. And do they ever like to play? Well, at least one does. While one plays with you, the other will stand there watching, chanting, pass it on over and over again, all the while ignoring your cries for help. There's no happy ending to be had. Should you remain optimistic, I'm afraid you're just as naive as those who came before you. And there were many, oh, so many, and you won't be the last. I've made certain of that. Now, now, you have a decision to make. Now that you've seen the picture and discovered the consequences, whatever shall you do? Might you leave the picture be and pray that this was just some twisted story? Or will you decide to pass it on? With so many people being given such strong motivation to share this image, it will only be a matter of time before you see it too. But fear not, we here at the Simply Scary Podcast are here to help. With our assistance, you too can learn to love the nightmares. 
For our final story, we travel back to the 19th century, when the paranormal was even more in vogue than it is now. In our sixth and final tale, we meet a particularly opportunistic charlatan in the field as he experiments with a dangerous ritual, one that had been attempted in the prior year by a prisoner in France. For your supernatural satisfaction, we present to you Emma Froh's performance of The Dead Poet's Game, as penned by an anonymous author. The following is a set of brief instructions on how to play the Dead Poets game. Most of you have probably never heard of this ancient phenomenon that circled around England in the 1800s during the Industrial Revolution. This practice can still be used by certain people, but I must warn you that what you will partake in is extremely dangerous. You must follow all instructions perfectly or else your life will be forever endangered. Now, you might be asking yourselves, what is the Dead Poets game? In the late 1800s, stories of ghosts and goblins were circling all throughout Northern Europe. Everybody only thought of these spirits as mere fairy tales. It was, of course, all too true when, one night, at the London Theatre, someone performed this exact game in front of a large audience. This man was a psychic who was mostly renowned for his unbelievable talent of precognition. Alexander Kingsley was his name. He mostly performed magic tricks and various other acts of illusion that even I can't figure out. One of which was when he seemingly cut off his own foot and then reattached it in only 60 seconds. Of course, I'm just getting sidetracked. With the craze of ghosts and demons becoming famous throughout the world, Alex used this to his advantage. He was going to play a little game that he had heard of and wanted to test out if it was real or not. The items needed are a candle, two glasses of wine, a table and two chairs. You'll see why later. Alexander heard the tales of what would happen if he played the game, and thought it would be a good idea in order to bring in profit. You see, at the time his tricks had, well, gotten a little stale, if you know what I mean. The idea of actually summoning a ghost on stage was the perfect idea to reel in a crowd. Soon, posters and advertisements were plastered all across London. Come and see the mysterious ace, for tonight at 8 o'clock he will summon the undead from their peaceful slumber. Come and see for yourself at the London Theatre House. Of course, this was back when literally everyone was a gullible idiot, although nothing has really changed now, has it? At that very night, Alexander, or ace, was going to perform the game improperly. He wasn't acquainted with the key rules one has to follow. The rules. 1. You have to be alone. 2. You have to do it in a place of where someone had died. 3. You have to take everything seriously. Alexander was disrespecting their rules to the core, and the punishment for not following these rules are... Well, you'll see later. 
The setup you have to follow is that you have to be in the vicinity of where someone had recently passed away. In fact, you need to place your table on the exact place in which they had died. You need to put your chair where the victim's head was pointing, and the other where the legs were. It also matters who died. It needs to be the body of a poet, hence the name. A poet can also be described as a calm, well-spoken, and nice soul. So if your husband was a very humble and collected person, then you can play this game. The reason for this is because when you'll contact the spirit, it'll often take the shape of a soul trapped in that area. If you want to have a nice conversation with the spirit, you won't want it taking the shape of a demon now, would you? This brings us to the first rule. Be alone. If you aren't alone, then the spirit may possess the poor soul who didn't sit down in the head chair, as I call it. And trust me, it is very hard to save a soul from this fate. If the other person gets possessed, the ghost will have full control over the body. Sometimes, if it's a demon, then your friend may do unspeakable things to you and anyone around him or her. The same rules apply if you don't sit down in the head chair, or if you don't have the table placed in the right spot. If you're like me at this point, you've probably predicted the fate of Alexander and his audience. But trust me when I say this, not following the rule in which you're supposed to act in a sensible manner is the worst one of them all. And poor Alex was a 19th century magician with brightly flamboyant colors for cloth. Not following this could haunt you for the rest of your days, but the fact that Alex was breaking all of these rules was even worse. To properly play, you must lock yourself in the room closing all the blinds and be sure to do it at night. No light must be in the room at this time except for the faint flicker of light emanating from the candle you need to place on the table. Take out the two wine glasses and pour both glasses with the alcohol of your choosing. This symbolizes a peace offering to the spirits, showing that you mean no harm to him or her. I should remind you that you must have no form of technology inside the room. Also, you must make sure that you have no way of contacting anyone else in the outside world. To start, you must call to the spirit that you mean no harm to them. You pour their glass and raise your own and take a sip. If you have done this correctly, after lowering your glass, there will be someone sitting across from you. At this point, you must not display any signs of fear in your voice or your facial expressions. You must not provoke the spirit in any way. You must act sensible. To start the game, you must say, I wish to start a match. The ghost will usually nod and raise their glass. The spirit will be taking the appearance and personality of the deceased body of your choosing. Remember that you must treat the spirit as if it actually is the body in the room. If you don't, then you will be met with weird looks and eventual frustration and anger. Of course, nobody in their right mind would want to mess with a ghost. To play, you have to say what letter you want to be, either A or B. To say it, you must say, I strip you of the letter, say your letter. If done properly, the spirit will take another sip. I should remind you that every time the entity takes a drink, you must too. For this will be your timer. 
When both glasses are empty, the spirit will leave. If both glasses are uneven, the spirit will not leave until you have finished. Now, again, you might be thinking to yourself, this isn't so hard. All I have to do to finish is to finish drinking and then he or her leaves. What's the big deal? Well, I can certainly tell you that you would want to spend as much time away from this spirit as possible. This creature is purposely trying to get you drunk so that you can reveal your deepest, darkest secrets. It can find out about your personal life, your job, your family, your relationships, etc. This is just a way so that the spirit can enter your mind and slowly dissolve it. Just by choosing choice words, it can cause some people to commit suicide. Some entities have powers and abilities that we are yet to fully understand. Angering, pleasing, or agitating a spirit like this can have dire consequences. The gameplay is like this. Player A will ask a question and player B will have to answer it. After the spirit answers, it will take a sip, then the letters will alternate. Then you will be player B. The spirit will ask a question and then take a sip. You can ask any question you want, and so can him or her. You keep alternating until both of you run out of wine. When this happens, whoever is player A when the wine runs out automatically wins the game. If you win, the spirit will raise his or her glass and walk into the shadows. Remain seated even when he returns to his rightful place. Blow out the candle, turn on the lights, and exit the room. It sounds relatively easy, doesn't it? Of course, what happens when you lose is a whole other story. If you lose, then the spirit will blow out the candle. Turning on the light is probably the best defense mechanism against a spirit. Ghosts aren't drawn to light and often avoid it. Still, that doesn't mean you're safe. The spirit may start following you through your life. Every time you go into a dark room, you'll see it just out of the corner of your eye. Whenever you look into a mirror, you'll see it standing right behind you. It'll stalk you and hunt you down until you finally muster up the courage to say these words. This soul is yours. It is yours to do business with. If you say this successfully, then you black out. You will wake up in a room similar to your own, except darker and stranger. There's no doors or windows, just a bed. This spirit now has your soul, and it can choose to do whatever it wants with your body. Think of this strange realm as a sort of waiting room. As soon as someone else wants to play, you will be summoned and forced to play. If you lose, then you will be forced back into that room, and you will have to wait again. Sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? Usually you are the only person in this dimension, and until you are summoned, nobody else can enter. A year before the phenomenon had spread to England and made popularized by Alex, a violent prisoner named Pierre played the game. Using the dead body area of his unlucky cellmate, he had heard of this game and had heard of the effects. He thought that if he lost and was summoned in somewhere like England, he would be able to make his escape from life imprisonment. So locked up in this French prison, he performed the game. He purposely lost, not knowing how horrible his fate actually was. He spent a whole year in his hellish prison, 
screaming in agony, banging on the concrete wall as he got no response from anyone or anything. He went insane. He became the very definition of a demon. He wasn't able to form sentences. He couldn't self-harm, he couldn't think straight, and all he could think of was leaving that hellhole. Then, one cold November night, Alexander released the demon from his cell. With no real way of a human form, and with an overwhelming audience crowd of bodies to possess, Pierre could not control himself. He was transformed into his natural body, except he had aged exponentially. He stank of feces and urine. His clothes were tattered and worn out, and he was screaming like a rabid dog. He was foaming from the mouth. He attacked Alex and took his body. Pierre had become Alex. He ran out of the theater, crowds were running after him, some calling him a genius and others calling him a monster. Alexander automatically lost the game. He didn't follow the rules and thus his fate had befallen him. And so, if you've learned anything from this, do not take the risk by playing this game. It will ruin you. It will destroy you. It will dismantle the very fabric of your world. If you do choose to play this game, I suggest playing alone. The forces behind our world will not be trifled with or manipulated. You won't be able to get them to do what you want by breaking the rules. Instead, you may well find yourself the one that is broken. After a final word, we'll return with some very exciting announcements and prizes including information about our foray into animated films. Hello again, folks. We are having a great time celebrating the work of a wonderful person, Emma Fro. She was a colleague and friend of ours for years at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and we are happy to be presenting her work today. Now, we also wanted to point out that these stories may be a little outside the box of the usual simply scary production style. But we wanted to do our best to present them to you in their original form, but with a little touch of simply scary in honor of Emma. Um, but that is because Emma produced these and wrote most of these stories herself. Um, she was a very talented artist, so we do ask that you enjoy and share with all your friends and family, because we think that Emma was an incredibly talented person and her work needs to be shared. We are glad to have the Simply Scary audience along for this tribute. And now I'm gonna hand it back over to GM Danielson. Welcome back everyone. If you are a horror author who feels you've got a story that's fit for the Simply Scary podcast, visit simplyscarypodcast.com forward slash submit dash a dash story forward slash, and we'll see if you 
can give us the simply scary shivers. If you have a writing project you would like adapted into an audiobook for sale or distribution on sites like audible.com, we can produce a cost-effective and professional-grade product for you if you reach out to us at contact at simplyscarypodcast.com. We'll help you reach a new audience of thousands. On that note, chilling tales for dark nights and Simply Scary will soon be spreading into a whole new visual medium very shortly. Animation. That's right. We will be going to Kickstarter to create animated and fully illustrated graphic novel adaptations of some of our most popular productions, including Markiplier's performance of Chris Mallory's notorious tale of undead cadavers, The Scarecrow Corpse. Stay tuned for more information about this exciting new project and how you can help us bring these nightmares to life when our Kickstarter campaign begins February 15th, 2017 and get some fabulous rewards in exchange for your generous support. We're pleased to say that the artist for these projects will be David Romero, the very same illustrator who creates the startling imagery for this podcast, which appears on our website and YouTube channel, and whose animated horror films Pine Devil, Other Lily, and Midnight Snacks are proudly hosted at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and getting rave reviews. If you've not seen David Romero's work yet, visit our YouTube channel today and be prepared to pick your jaw up off the floor. But you don't need to wait until February to help us make these projects a reality. For just $4.99 per month, you can support Chilling Tales now and help us produce more of the horror content you love and get access to download our entire back catalogue of hundreds of productions advertisement-free in high-quality format by signing up to become a patron today at chillingtalesfordarknights.com forward slash tour. On the subject of memberships, it's time for the prize. We'll award a free annual membership to one lucky listener who took the time to write us a helpful review on iTunes. That winner, one of those whose feedback we rely on to improve the show and increase its outreach, is Erod773. Erod773 writes, Anthology horror is so hard to come by these days. Simply Scary is an amazing podcast that features a Crypt Keeper-esque host that will keep EC Comics fans satisfied. Great voice actors, great content, and awesome horror. Love this show. Thank you so much for leaving us that feedback. To claim your free membership, send a screenshot of your iTunes profile page to contact at simplyscarypodcast.com. This is GM Danielson thanking you for joining us. Remember, listeners, appreciate the special people in your life and let them know how much you care. 
You never know when you may lose them. Here's to you, Emma. We miss you dearly and sincerely hope our efforts tonight have brought a smile to your face wherever you are on the other side. We'll see you again soon when we show you there's nothing simple about being scared. Unless, of course, it is the Simply Scary Podcast. This is executive producer Jesse Cornett. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out more from these authors at simplyscarypodcast.com. There you can find all information regarding the show and the stories appearing here in our podcast. The Simply Scary Podcast is a production of Chilling Entertainment. The showcase is written by Jesse Cornett and Dustin Kosky and produced by Jesse Cornett. The host of the Simply Scary Podcast is GM Danielson. Original music during the show by Jesse Cornett. This broadcast was directed and created by Craig Groshek. Be sure to look for the Simply Scary Podcast on iTunes. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star review. Comments or questions? Email us at contact at simplyscarypodcast.com and check our website for more information. While you're there, consider clicking on the patrons link at the top of the page to help support our show. Copyright Chilling Entertainment, LLC, 2016. Thanks for listening. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.